everybody welcome to the improv network podcast this is a series of conversations aimed at making stronger connections throughout the improv community i'm james quesada i'm your education director for the improv network you can go to the improvnetwork.org to check out all sorts of resources interviews and blogs there's a dedicated improv faq tab um, on the website where you can check out full archive of these conversations uh, as well as mini lectures by yours truly about improv topics, uh, more bite-sized uh, looks at the frequently asked questions of improv. And uh, I am solo hosting today. My uh, cohort, Bob Wick, is it is his anniversary weekend, and uh, Eagle Eye viewers may notice that I uh, seem a little out of place here with the uh, uh, fireplace in the background. Um, I am actually traveling for a wedding, uh, in Traverse City, and just before I started uh, Traverse City, Michigan, and um, just before I started the show, I went to go check to see where Bob was so I could give everyone an update at the top of the show. And it turns out, I didn't realize this, but Bob is also celebrating his anniversary in Traverse City. Uh, and right now, I think he's on his way to the Sleeping Bear Dunes, but I didn't even know that. So Bob and I could have been hanging out in Traverse City um, uh, at some point during the weekend, but instead here I am alone um and coincidentally in the same city uh while i'm in town from new york um i'm very excited to talk to our guest for this episode um he is a uh longtime improviser and instructor uh speaker and uh best-selling author from uh wall street journal and usa today he actually has a new book just released this past uh spring called the playmaker's mindset and he is the owner of the Players Workshop, longest uh, existing school of improv and um, uh, revived by our guest. And it is, without further ado, Jeff Rogers. Welcome, Jeff. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, Jeff, James, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. I'm very, very excited to talk uh, to you about all sorts of things we have, we have um, on our, our list of stuff we want to chat about. Um, but best place to start is probably with you and uh, the Players Workshop. Um, can you give us a little bit of history on what the Players Workshop is? Because it goes back uh, quite a while and um, it's maybe not as well known as uh, things like Second City or IO. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely, uh, it it does go back and it is not as well known. Unfair, unfair, so it, do it, justice. You know, it's really funny because I was reading uh, Improv Nation. I was looking through Improv Nation again uh, last night and uh, uh, the book uh, by, um, Oh God, is Wesson? Uh, uh, yeah, Sam. Sam, I think it's Sam Wesson. Yeah. So, um, and I was looking through it, and there is uh, there's two references to Players Workshop, and I, I I was just sitting there reading this thing, and I I, I got to tell you, I I am going to raise a stink about that. I've please. <laughs> I've, this, I've decided. So Players Workshop started um, was started by a woman by the name of Josephine Forsberg. Uh, Joe Forsberg was part of the original cast at Second City in 1959 uh, with the original show. She was also pregnant at the time, and she okay. actually gave birth to her son, Eric, 
the night of opening night of Second City. So okay. uh, wow. not not on stage. You know, did she uh, seems like a missed opportunity. I, you know what? Back in the day, I don't think they were thinking, you know, yeah. layers that they could play with that. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, she's not as known as some of that original cast. But she was there. She helped build the theater. She helped uh, manage the theater. She uh, really became an acolyte of uh, Viola Spolin. And Viola was teaching at Second City. And when we say teaching, she was showing them the games. Okay. Right? And it was not so much a, um, <clears throat> you know, constructed classes as much as she was demonstrating, here's the games, here's how you play the games, and coaching them. I think coaching would be a better kind of uh, – uh, you know, terminology for what she was doing there. Don't get me wrong. She was obviously the progenitor of all of these kind mm -hmm. of exercises and constantly exploring how to do it and all of these things. She did that for a few years and Joe was at her side the entire time learning how to teach it, learning what the games are and, and really helping her put together everything. And then Viola left. I mean, she left in like the mid to early 60s, right? Mm -hmm. So... She's gone. She's gone to L.A. and New York, and she's doing other things. And so it fell to Joe to teach all of these actors who were coming in how to improvise because it just wasn't being taught otherwise. I mean, you have improvisation in other uh, acting forms, right? Stanislavski and, and the method, and, and they use them in different ways. But this was all about doing it for comedic purpose, right, and for authentic portrayal of characters on stage. So... After uh, a few years of doing that, in 1970, what was happening was at Second City, so it started in 1959, right? 1969, 1970, what was happening, the actors who were getting trained at Second City were bringing their friends, who were also actors, saying, you got to learn this form. This is more than just, you know, jokes and ha-has. This is, this is a really dynamic form of producing incredible content, um, really putting together some great characters very quickly. And uh, it can help in everything you're doing as a performer. So this started growing exponentially. And uh, Joe went to Bernie Sollins and said, listen, I think we need to expand the school and make this a whole real thing. Bernie Sollins, who was the producer and one of the founders of Second City said, no. <laughs> and no, no, wow. I'm not going to do that. Um, that's my Bernie. Uh, we'll I wouldn't know. I'm like, that's probably perfect, I'm sure. Right on. For anybody yeah. who doesn't know Great. Bernie, that was a maze ball. Uh, anybody who does, eh, I got to know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so she asked permission to spin off a school that would be standalone from Second City, but call it Players Workshop of Second City. Right? Yeah. And so the idea was you could take classes there and then go to um, – Second City and, and audition and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm trained at Players Workshop, so I know how to do this. Can I audition? Well, that school uh, became the first original independent school because not only were they getting other actors and everything else, they were getting uh, lawyers and accountants and a lot of marketing and advertising people. And, you know, anybody who wanted to take a class that kind of expanded their abilities, this is where they came to take that class. And what happened was over the years that continued on. I mean, they had like 10,000 students over the years uh, originally. And so in the late eighties, um, Andrew Alexander took over second city. He bought second city from uh, um, Bernie Solins and saw what kind of numbers 
Players Workshop was doing and said, hey, we should be doing that. That's an opportunity for us. That's a missed opportunity. So what he did was uh, he recruited um, the main. Uh, so Joe taught her kids how to do it. Josephine and um, Linnea. Uh, I'm sorry. Joe taught Eric and Linnea, her two kids, how to teach it. She also okay. taught um, several people in her family how to teach it. One of them being her nephew, who was a performer, uh, Martin DeMott. Now, you say the name Martin DeMott, everybody should know uh, Martin's name. But if not, he was a really influential teacher. Everybody, I would say anybody who's really teaching on a high level right now probably learned from Martin DeMott. I'm talking Dave Rosowski, Joe Bild, Susan Mess. I mean, uh, odds are they had interface and, and had some teaching from Martin. He really came at it at a very different way from uh, Del Close. Uh, Martin brought the Players Workshop style, which was one of support. It wasn't antagonistic. It wasn't uh, as cutting. It was absolutely more exploration uh, in the art form. So that's what became the Second City style. Um, and so they basically just lifted up the curriculum from Players Workshop and brought it over to Second City. Okay. Which is unfortunate, which caused a bit of a riff and then eventually said, listen, you can't use Second City in your name anymore. You got to change your name. And it, it was an infor it, it was a really unfortunate sort of handling of the entire situation. Uh, and then Second City through the classes grew and grew and grew. Um, and to the point where Players Workshop, uh, Josephine got a lot older and, and couldn't run it anymore. And so they kind of shuttered it. Um, but you know, for me, I came through both places. I came through Players Workshop. I worked at Second City. So when I came uh, onto the scene and came back in, uh, uh, say, around 2008, the problem I had was I didn't have a place I felt like I could send somebody to learn the basics of improv. Second City's still around. The classes are still around. I.O. is still around, right? And But what I felt was Players Work Workshop offered that ground level. You're not going to get your head handed to you style of classes um, that Marty taught, that Joe taught, that uh, Viola taught. And that legacy was what I wanted to continue. And so that's why I, I started again. And, and not to keep this run-on sentence going, but... Please, this is making my job really easy. Comma, <laughs> dash. Uh, okay. The, uh, the thing that kind of pisses me off uh, that I, I really, I'm taking issue with, it doesn't piss me off. It's an art form. You know, it is what it is. But... The thing I'm taking issue with is the idea that one of the reasons that improvisation thrived, I think in the country, I haven't been able to like get the stats to prove it, but Players Workshop was every group that came through Players Workshop, hundreds and hundreds of groups, tens of thousands of students, but every group that came through after five terms, you put on, your sixth term was putting on a show. You put on your graduate show and effectively, you had a, a one to one and a half hour improv slash sketch show that you just produced. Well, where are you going to go with that? You, you've got this great product now, or at least, you know, product that you enjoy and love. How about that might be a better way of saying it? <laughs> I'll leave you know, critique out of it. But you, you have this show now. Where are you going to go? What happened was so many people said, I want to continue doing this show. Let's rent a theater space. Let's start a theater. Let's do this, blah, 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 blah. What that became was this underpinning in Chicago of you could not turn your head without seeing another improv group or another improv theater. 
that was starting up because of this. Improv Olympic, that started at Players Workshop. Sharna took classes there. Dell came over and taught there. They got together. Um, you know, uh, 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 oh, God, I can't. Uh, David Shepard came by to try a new art form, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And and got Sharna involved. Joe was the one who put Sharna and David together. They formed IO, and Dell came in and created the hero or, or expanded on that, that idea of a montage type of uh, format. You have uh, UCB, three of the founding members of UCB came through Players Workshop. So it really is this foundational place in improvisation that really helps spread the gospel of improv and the, the acolytes of improv and created this feeding ground in um, Chicago. They, they helped they, all the guys who went through uh, Improv Institute, which became this huge place in Chicago that people would go to and go, holy cow, that's what you can do with improv. Uh, the a lot of folks who went over to Annoyance, you know, they they came through I.O. in order to start the Annoyance Theater. Well, I.O. started at Players Workshop. So you really do have this sort of um, ground zero place that I don't think is getting the due it deserves uh, on one hand. The other hand is I don't think that there's a lot of places that are teaching in the style of Players Workshop that have created a curriculum that after this many months, you will be able to walk on stage anywhere in the world and be able to improvise with anybody who's doing it. It's got all of the elements on there. And, and if you pay attention and you put in the work, you'll be able to do that as well. So that's, um, yeah, I have a, a, apparently, James, for the love of God, man, for the first question, you really touched on something. Which is yeah, struck a nerve. Softball. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think it's I think it's such a uh, a great um, you know uh, I, I I'm excited to, to to talk more about like what that dynamic is and from a starting point where like um, you know obviously I I got started in improv um, like 2010 so like I, I missed a lot of the history on uh, that in in any of the um, major cities and um, obviously Chicago being like the original uh, of like what uh, modern long form and, and, uh, improv to sketch and, uh, is like, it's, it's some of them, you forget how recent it is. Um, but yeah. it's starting to get long enough, uh, ago for a lot of people to just like, uh, you know, take for granted that it's, that improv has been around for a long time. Um, but yeah, I imagine in, in like the, uh, origin hub of improv that there's a lot of overlap and, um, yeah, it, that, that, uh, it can be tough to kind of like, uh, draw lines and give credit um, in the neatest way. Because I also know that like, I mean, Dell and like McDapier were also both teaching it or, or directing shows at, at Second City yeah. at different points, right? So it's like, and I'm sure that there's like, even now all sorts of, you know, you can you can, you can can see the same teachers on, on a roster at uh, different theaters. And so it is kind of like, is it the teachers? Is it the school? Is it the theater? Is it the playing style? Is it the form? Is it the branding? <laughs> you know, like what? Yes. Really, it's it's kind of tough to like draw the line of where to like give credit or or how I guess um, when when do, it, does it become kind of a bummer to like not uh, pinpoint you know um, the source of uh, certain things that everybody really loves or enjoys 
yeah. out of the art form. Well, I, and I think that, that's a great call. And I, I you know, I think that uh, um, if you're doing it correctly, you're not noticing an individual, you're noticing the ensemble, right? If, if you're doing this art form correctly, working with a group, not solo, obviously, but if you're working with a group or partners, what you, you realize is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. My thing is that I just want uh, Players Workshop to be recognized as one of the parts, um, but certainly not, I, I, you know, look, every new place that people got together, something new was built, and that has a hand in raising all boats, hope, hopefully, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, uh, uh, I mean, in Michigan, Second City came to Michigan and, and helped spark a lot of the, the troops and groups in in Michigan as well. And, and they were in Toronto and, and uh, they, they did a lot of outreach in a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. um, they, Second City LA, you know, they- There's one in Vegas for some time, yeah, right? Vegas, right, exactly. Denver, uh, there was one in Edmonton for a while. So yeah, you really can't say one place is responsible for. Um, but what I, what I really, I'm sensitive about and I really don't want to have happen is to really lose what should be considered one of the, you know, founding mothers of this form. And, and women, frankly, have been responsible for the, um, the progression, the institutionalization of this form as well. And I don't, I don't think that that gets enough recognition either. We talk about Dell. We don't talk about the fact that Sharna kept Dell in line and uh, kept that theater open, kept the theater open for, 30 some years you know what i mean mm -hmm. joyce sloan was the producer of um uh, second city for for 30 some years uh viola spolin's games you know what i mean I, it's mm -hmm. all of these with joe forsberg with players workshop it's all of these women who really nurtured this form and and gave it life to use the sort of birthing uh metaphor <laughs> yeah um, let's get detailed yeah I, but I, I don't think that kind of credit is given either yeah fair enough um, and, and let me ask you a couple, uh, just, uh, questions out of curiosity of, um, what the player's workshop was like, because, uh, it was mostly, you said it was mostly a school as opposed to like a theater, right? So it's like a more of an incubation, uh, program and, uh, training center. And, uh, did it ever have its own stage? I mean, I know you said it was a underneath the, uh, or like housed by Second City, but it, did it ever have like a venue in its own right, or does oh, it now? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it it up until 1970, it was it was uh, part of Second City, but it went out on its own, separate, completely separate entity, uh, with no financial ties or any support from Second City. So for 50 some years, it's been uh, separate from Second City. But yeah, it did. It had a couple of locations. Um, they had a very vibrant um, children's theater. Mm. Uh, they had, uh, they, they did a lot of productions. Uh, they produced a lot of productions. Um, they did not have a quote unquote house team and they didn't do sort of regular, uh, they did not use their space as a regular performance space. So they, they put people through as their, you know, classes. And then those classes went and performed elsewhere. Um, and that's probably one aspect of the previous model that um, did not serve them well. I think had they had that performance space, they probably would have done a lot better. Um, you had people going through there like uh, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, uh, George Went, um, Tim Kazarinski, Bonnie Hunt, Amy Sedaris, Matt Walsh, uh, Dave Pasquese. I mean, so you had a lot of nice names go through there. 
who it would have mm -hmm. been cool to see in their very early sort of stages uh, yeah. on that stage, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they, they didn't necessarily have a, uh, a performance space included with the theater. Now, the other yeah. thing that did was allow them to keep creating players without necessarily competing with other theaters. Yeah, well, I was going to say it sounds like uh, much more like a conservatory or a um, theater company uh, than like a like a theater venue. You know, like yeah. Um, yeah. that where where the job of a conservatory or a theater company is to like like produce and, and work workshop, um, and uh, and then find a place to put it up. But uh, so so I imagine like there's a lot of schools and theater companies that might not get as much credit as they deserve because it's kind of hard to compete with uh, the banner of a um, theater whose main business is the brick and mortar of, um, you know, uh, the marquee. Right, right. Yeah, you, you don't get to see the, uh, you know, the back of house, how the sausage is being made. Yeah. Well, yeah, it just made me. <laughs> and and then for like what's what would be the uh major differences between like um a second city uh review is going to be sketched and scripted and maybe they'll they'll throw in a, a standalone improvised scene I, it's been a long time since i've seen a, a second city show so i don't know what exactly the format norms are now but um uh the players workshop leads to a show or a showcase um right and what is what does a player's workshop show look like how what's the blend between like what is written what is improvised yeah it's probably about a 50 50 blend um there's some written stuff because we teach uh writing as well <clears throat> sketch writing scene writing um storytelling beginning middle and end uh how to do uh, how to do that within the context of a of a scene the different kinds and styles of of theater that can be applied in that way um, so we want them to explore that because it's a different form of communication. It's a different form of telling your story. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's absolutely a part of the curriculum. So there is that aspect. We also want to explore short form, long form, uh, everything from blackouts to, you know, what, what we refer to as a, um, a collage, uh, which is Second City called it a montage. I.O. called it a herald. Uh, so, you know, uh, Rose by any other name, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, understanding how those forms are played, the different ways that you go about continuing the story of a character, continuing the story of a scene. So um, if uh, a show right now would probably look like about a 50-50 mix somewhere in there, and, and then hopefully a couple of games as well. Okay. And is it like, um, is it sort of a, a standard... How, how much of like what a show ends up being is is like okay well what is the what is the class what is what do the students want to do like are they are they more interested in like experimenting with a new uh you know short form format or or like yeah how how variable is it from i would say show yes. to show yeah i would say yes and uh i mean it really would depend on the class we haven't as yet put on because of covid and everything else we haven't had the sure. chance to to really explore uh, the production of shows at the end of their their classes uh, for this go round, um, but the uh, uh, what we'd love to have happen is have them come up with or I, I you know land on here's what our show is going to be. Every class's show is going to be a different mix, right? If they came in and said, "Listen, we love everything, but we just want to do basically an extended collage," mm -hmm. 
uh, then we okay. Let's let's rehearse the heck out of doing that. Let's put on the greatest collage we've ever seen. If a class came in and after they were done with their time, they said, "Listen, we we improvise these scenes and we think we've got a really great sketch show." Uh, okay, then let's let's put on a really great sketch show for you for your class, right? Because that's what they they really um, expanded on, and that's where they want to play. That's where they they kind of landed. Okay. And if a class comes through that says, you know, we love it all. We had fun doing all of this stuff. Great. Let's, let's make that stew. You know, let's, let's put those ingredients together and see what we come up with, with that. And we take a, a few weeks to um, really identify what that is and then put, put on a show, have them put on a show. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that um, uh, you don't see a ton of it blending. It's usually like a kind of line between like, this is sketch um, and uh, just that the show is, written front to back or um, or like we do long form here or it's just a, sh you know, long, uh, sorry, short form game show. Yeah. Um, and those are great. Uh, and, and there's obvious reasons why if you gravitate to one of those more than the other um, or uh, specialize in them that the whole show would be that. But um, it's it's nice to uh, know that there is ways of blending them you know like you can just be like uh like well, what if we just had a game in the middle or um you know maybe act one is written and act two is short form act three is long form and it's still all connected i mean think about i think about how wonderful that is for the audience that they're able to see all of these different forms in one place one setting one show i mean that that really is that that's all about surprise and delight you know uh, that they have the ability to see that. And it also goes to, um, you know, Second City's thing was, if you don't like what we're doing right now, we're going to change it in a few minutes anyway. Right? There's going to sure. be a group scene uh, to open the show or three blackouts. There's going to be a... a yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a, a two-person opening scene. There's going to be a blackout. There's going to be a game. There's going to... You know, so, I mean, it really was that sort of idea of that um, to some extent right? Uh, mm -hmm. To some extent. And then they play with that form as well sometimes in terms of the callbacks and what they've been doing with that. Um, right. You brought up a great point, though, that kind of took hold in the late 80s and early 90s was um, my kung fu is better than your kung fu. <laughs> kind of style of, of improvisation comparison. And it was the dumbest thing. And I was part of it. I, I absolutely <laughs> You're you're yeah. you guys don't form character like you should. You don't form, you know, and it's the dumbest arguments in the history of improvisation. <laughs> they really were. Yeah. Well, it's it's um I just would be so curious to like be a part of that phase where like improv is this novelty um where uh, it, we're still not really sure what it is, you know, or if it's going to be its own product or if it's a means for sketch and um, right. there's no such thing as Harold or, or, or like uh, whatever, like, you know, it's not on people's minds. We're all just kind of like trying to like do something similar where we're not using a script and we're figuring it out and seeing, seeing if, uh, how much fun we can have with it. And it's much more about like the exploration. And then at some point, you know, you start building an audience or like you said, like uh, it's word of mouth for just like bringing people in and be like, you got to learn this style. You got to work with uh, Martin or you got to, you know, uh, see what this thing is um, and how it can help you as a performer or actor or whatever your thing is. Um, and then all of a sudden it's, it's like, okay, well, there's a little bit of like success to this and we're starting to put names on it. Um, 
you know, and label like, well, this is long form and this is, yeah. uh, you know, this is Harold and or this is like uh, story uh, improv or, you know, this is this is sketch, you know. Um, and uh, I think that just comes from like, OK, wanting to be precious about like uh, uh, and, and keep growing it. Right. It's be like, yeah. OK, like but but it just has this this this. Uh, really bummer side effect where it's like what when it's when it's just kind of cultivating um it's just so exciting i would imagine um purely for the sake of like it being something new and then and then when it's a little less new and we're trying to like you know uh mold it and shape it and give it longevity then it's like all of a sudden then it becomes a competition absolutely which is intrinsically uh diametrically opposed to the very nature of the form yeah right yeah. I mean, we've got on one hand, we've got, you know, we want our theaters to survive and thrive. And yet the form itself is all about ensemble, having each other's back, supporting, yes, ending. And so you've got that conflict that's built in there, which, you know, I, it's interesting, which one of the reasons I think that um, it's, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I think one of the reasons that it's nice that you can't make a living at one theater as a teacher, what happens mm -hmm. is naturally you go to many theaters and teach. And so you are effectively becoming um, the super spreader of the form, right? And that mm -hmm. connects everybody's forms um, because we're all learning from some of the same people or learning from the people that they learn from, right? As it, as it cascades down. Mm -hmm. So that, I, I think the only thing you're going to get in trouble for saying in there is the word super spreader. Well, yes, right. But I, I think that that's actually a key component of the fact that this thing hasn't blown out to this really war on uh, uh, from from one faction to another faction, right? Is that there's the people who go around to it. Now, that said, um, it's the bane of my existence that there aren't more improv... There, there isn't a way to make a living at this form yet. Yeah. It, entirely in and of itself. It's just not there yet. There, there's not a great way to make a living as an actor, period, you know, uh, or as mm -hmm. a performer or a writer, any sort of artist mm -hmm. is going to have that issue. But now there's a very big push about getting people paid for what they do and, and uh, at least a living wage to some degree in theater. Mm -hmm. That said, uh, I mean, Chicago is going through a huge push on this, and it'll be interesting to see how much theater is produced if it can't be funded and paid for. So then it becomes, what does the artist do uh, if they can't do their art? Yeah. Because they're not getting paid for it. Yeah. Well, okay. So so let's, I, I definitely want to segue into uh, talking about the development of like the improv industry and uh, those questions of like how to get paid and you know, when, when that might happen and how, uh, but, uh, I guess it's just on my mind that like, I want to, um, have like a sort of disclaimer that like, uh, the, the world of improv is not really like at war with itself. We, and, I, and I'm oh. part, part of the reason I'm saying this is, is that last week we had a conversation very similar to like, like different styles and, and like the, the kind of like guards up, uh, you know, or, or, the negative aspects that can arise from improv communities and they do exist. And, and it is important to talk about, but uh, I guess I just oh, want to say that like, yeah. I, I, well, then let me, let me jump back in here for a second. I, my description of that was much more about the late eighties, early nineties. 
what I see now is a much more evolved approach. I'm sure there's still, um, you know, my yard, your yard type of thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, the the people who are practicing now, the the people who are coming up, are so much more intelligent and involved about the sharing of the forms. Uh, I, I'm super excited about what's going on right now. For the most part, like you say, there's always going to be um, my camp versus your camp, but. The, the way people talk about it now, the way they appreciate the different forms and incorporate the different forms into what they're doing to see what can be made out of it, I, I think is a uh, incredibly evolved way of thinking about it and utilizing the form. Um, mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that the pandemic did was forced all of us to go online and the ability to see what everybody's doing elsewhere. I have been picking up a ton of stuff from Keith Johnstone and Impro, mm -hmm. which I really was sheltered from living in Chicago. We didn't have a lot of it. Um, and now I'm working with a ton of folks up in Canada and in uh, on the West Coast. They're ensconced in it. And so I hear their stuff and I'm I, I just I'm soaking that in. I, I'm just really loving all they're doing with it. Um, another area that uh, really quickly that is uh, uh, become a great area of just this incredible exchange of ideas. And here, go try this. Go make money with this is applied improvisation, which we'll, we'll get to later. But that, that area where people are literally coming together saying, I need help forming a workshop around this. I've got the client already. Mm -hmm. So there's no sort of, hey, screw you, you know, or let me take that client from you. It's much more about, hey, try this. I did this at a workshop. Try this. And it's that level of support, I, I got to tell you, Joe would be loving um, the kind of communication that's happening now. I mean, we were talking off off camera for a little bit just about sort of your background and, and who you touch um, in terms of uh, uh, Pat McCartney and, and uh, Ali Farinaki and over at the pit and, mm -hmm. um, you know, your relations to different theaters in New York. And that that kind of thing is fantastic. That, that I, honestly, what's happening in the last decade gives me more hope for the art form than I probably had uh, back in the in the 90s uh, when it was very much, you know, that that sort of negative fighting. So, uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I really I just wanted to to touch on it because I realized that like last week we were kind of like I just didn't want to give people this impression that like man, improv is imploding. Uh, yeah, because right. it's still it's still like I've I've been to festivals all over the country and and I'm sure you have as well. And um, I uh, when I moved to New York, like I I, I had great confidence that like uh, going to an improv theater was the best place to like meet people and uh, make friends, and it and it definitely is. Right. Um, and I think that uh, what's important, though, especially uh, as uh, everybody has gotten hit so hard by the pandemic and, and theaters included in that, um, that the way to rebound is to is to really just uh, embrace and highlight those things that you're talking about being excited about now and that are uh, have always been true uh, about the improv community, uh, which is that it's it's a it's a place to uh, connect with people um, and uh, that we just need to find a way to like um, reduce these like side effects when we, we when we suddenly take for granted that these theaters uh, and community are are going to balloon forever, right. um, and and you know, then then we get hit with all these closures in the past year, and it's like it's like damn, this stuff can go away, and like how do we strengthen it and and make it viable and uh, uh, more resistant to 
crisis like this? So it, it's funny, you're, you're bringing up something. I, I don't know if this was uh, intentional or not, but let's say it was, and you're, you're just <laughs> sure. freaking good. Um, so I, I actually have been a part of um, uh, an organization that we, we just launched, and uh, the initiation is the initiative is to do exactly that, is to try and strengthen everybody's ability to make it through these types of scenarios. Um, it's called ProfitableImprov.com. And what it is, is it's a, uh, we did the first round of surveys of theater, uh, improv companies, groups, troops, um, everything uh, that we could get our hands on in terms of how are you making money? What are you doing to make money? What's what's your revenue look like? Are you paying people? What What is the state of the improv union uh, right now, because you're right, those those booms and busts, those uh, balloons and contractions happen to every industry. Mm-hmm. What is scary is that because we're an art form, uh, we could very very easily go the way of jazz, right, and become a very factional fractional part of the overall music industry that in the '50s was enormous. I mean, it, it, it was it had such a huge hold. And then it took a turn and it shrank and shrank and shrank and shrank, right? And so, but you talk to a lot of the great uh, rock and roll folks and they say, yeah, blues and jazz informed my style. And it it had, you know, that sort of expansion to it. So it would be a crime and a pity if improv suffered that same thing, Mm -hmm. right? And so what Profitable Improv is trying to do is get that information, share it with anybody who participates and start generating some thinking around, okay, we've heard from some people, this is how they're making money. Are you doing this in your improv company? Are you leveraging um, you know, uh, uh, T-shirt sales and things along those lines? Are you doing corporate work? Are you, mm-hmm. do, are you serving other communities with your craft that you can leverage for a revenue stream to support you know, uh, what you want to do in your theater? So there's a lot of ways to do it. And that, that uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I became very worried about that. Um, I, I think that we're going to be okay. Uh, but I absolutely wanted to start us talking about, and it could wind up being an improv association, you know, that, that an improv theater association that literally is everybody sort of sharing best practices, how to do it. And, mm-hmm. and everybody gets a, a, gets to look at that, gets access to that so that yeah. we can all keep growing. Yeah, that's awesome. Cause it, it is, I think you, you know, mentioned the high tide raises all ships uh, analogy earlier. And that's, that's really what it is. And, um, and there's, there's room for everything, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. my Kung Fu is better. doesn't have to be the, uh, the way it's, it's like, right. we can just celebrate, um, you know, what we specialize in and also think it's very cool to, to, like you said, like take a peek at, at what other people do and be like, wow, I have not thought about doing it that way. Or like, that's so different from our approach and still be, you know, thrilled and supportive of it. Yeah. Yeah. If people go to improv, uh, profitableimprov.com, there's a couple of white papers there. One on how to use social media uh, uh, better for your group. Another one uh, that is all about building up your corporate uh, revenue streams. Um, and, uh, you can have access to those. If you take the, uh, it's a survey, it takes about five to 10 minutes, but the idea being, you know, yeah, there's so much space for all of us. There's so much space. It's unbelievable. Like the, it, it's there. We don't have to eat each other's lunch to try and survive. 
there's plenty of other places for us to do it and to to grow and, and be so yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um and i dropped a link there to profitableimprov.com um for people to check out oh cool uh, i think that's a great resource and a great mission uh for people to be aware of um yeah so what what are your thoughts on like uh so let's talk about like applied improv and I think, you know, one thing I'll mention uh, and want to get your insight on is is like, I, th I think it's really great for teachers to do applied improv and corporate workshops because um, uh, one, because of the paycheck, <laughs> but also because like when you bring um, improv to people who are not necessarily like actors or entertainers, there's something that's like a little bit um, uh, sort of uh, in, in the vein of like uh, Viola Spolin um, you know, where it was like originally just like, how do we get like just normal people to uh, uh, get back to playing and, and like break through to something that seems to be missing in, in like stuffy adult life. Um, and so I think that that's interesting. And I also wonder like uh, what, what the route is to like how um, doing those types of pursuing that type of industry for improv uh, can also um, uplift the, uh, uh, entertainment for entertainment sake uh, side of things. You know what I mean? So James, I, I feel like you, you're just putting quarters in me to get me to talk. It's <laughs> my job. <laughs> you've got, you've got like five quarters and we got an hour. You're just going to keep on putting a quarter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because this is something that's honestly near and dear to my heart. I, I am, uh, I am all about spreading the gospel of improvisation. Uh, I, I am an evangelizer on if everyone learned improvisation uh, growing up, uh, this would be a better planet. And I honestly and truly believe that in my heart. If we all learned to have each other's back, if we all learned yes and, if we all learned to listen better, uh, this would be a better world with, without doubt. Uh, Jacques Cousteau had a thing where he had a concept where if warring countries sent their children to each other, uh, to be raised for one year that would eliminate war on the planet. Uh, and um, Fargo actually had an episode where they did that. The warring factions of the mobs traded sons <laughs> for a year. Right. Uh, it didn't work out well in the thing. It's <laughs> a good, it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe it won't solve the mafia, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, great idea. Yeah. Um, so I came up through uh, Second City uh, and, you know, originally Players Workshop, and then I was at Second City and I got to tour and, and do all the stuff over there. I was a, a director as well as a performer and a creative director. And I got to help build Second City Communications, which is their, was their corporate arm. Now it's called Second City Works. I believe that there's a couple of important reasons to be doing corporate work. And if you're not doing corporate work, you should be. And I, by corporate, I, I simply mean, um, you know, any sort of uh, uh, improv workshops, things along those lines. It doesn't have to be for corporate. It can be for uh, nonprofit organizations, whatever you want to do it for, whomever you want to do it for. Mm -hmm. uh, but doing it outside of the theater, teaching this form to other groups for a lot of great reasons. I think that it does exactly what you say for them. It allows them to play. Right. It'll, it gets uh, individuals who don't have a relationship with that side of themselves anymore to reconnect with that idea. I think that there's an incredible power in play. It uh, allows you to try things. It takes it, it lowers your stress. It lowers the stakes, 
so that you can try things, right? We, as we get older, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm in my fifties and I, I'll tell you, you do get stuck. Your groove becomes your grave. And in that sense, you stop exploring and trying new things. Improvisation allows people to recognize that they can try new things without necessarily having it cost them their job, their livelihood, their insurance, their health, their safety, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and they can tap into that within themselves. They have that resource. So it's incumbent uh, upon us to share that with those different organizations. Not only that, there's money to be had there. Mm -hmm. There's money for our expertise. And don't make any mistake. This is absolutely an expertise. You can see I've gotten up on the damn soapbox. I'm at the pulpit right now with the uh, with the <laughs> Viola's folded yeah. book in my hand, right? Pounding the uh, pounding the Bible. But it it we absolutely have this incredible craft that we can use. I always look at it as two things. One is um, in, in two ways. There's our art and then there's our craft. All right. And okay. When we do workshops, we are using our craft to fund our art. And we're spreading the word of that. We're spreading the, um, the information about that, the awareness that this art form uh, exists. Believe it or not, there are people in the corporate world who would love to be a part of this and take this class and, and learn more about it. Um, and you, you're doing them the favor of allowing them to experience that, what that would look like in their everyday lives. Right. I, I don't believe in the work life balance. I think it's bullshit. I think that it's a um, it's the same bullshit that the industrialization uh, era foisted upon us, that we have to work this much work life balance. Be one way at work and another way at home. It's bullshit. You are one being. Be your authentic self. Improv teaches that uh, us that all the time. And um, I'm sorry, my dog just walked up here and Gypsy, the wonder dog and uh it's time for a petting. I have to. <laughs> my arm is below screen, but I don't want to make it weird. I'm suspicious. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, but it's incumbent upon us to do that, to spread that gospel to, to all of those people who need it the most. And those who are stuck in a corporate job or in a, in a situation that they have no sense of play, they are not able to play, and they have to live these two lives, need it. Um, so mm -hmm. you can look at it as a calling. But it also, it should be charged for. One of the things in applied improvisation, which I became aware of literally in the past two years. I mean, I'm very late to the applied improvisation naming convention, but I've okay. been doing applied improvisation since 1990. Okay. So it's it, it's been around. It just didn't have the sort of parameters that I think it's viewed with now. Cat uh, Coppett did a great job of sort of coalescing that into this this you know process, or at least a, a field that can be explored by other practitioners. Um, but like I say, Second City was doing that back in the '80s and '90s. Uh, so the, it, it's applied improvisation is literally this act of taking what we learn in improvisation and applying it in a broader space. I think that as teachers, we're excellent at doing that, and we can we can help them uh, to use this in a different way. I will say that Players Workshop has always been open to everybody, not just people who wanted to learn improvisation to be up on stage. Uh, we we say it's improvisation for life. We don't consider these soft skills; we consider them human skills. 
right? I mean, it's support, yeah. it's listening, it's all of those things. The, this is the only place, this is the only form where I feel like you get training on how to be a better human, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's literal. It's it's you're practicing those skills on stage in front of others, but you're practicing listening better. You're practicing communicating better. You're practicing being in the moment. Other art forms, you can learn them and they can bring you to those places, but they don't necessarily you don't actually practice that form. Right. If you're painting, it can bring you to that place, but you're not. It, the art form itself is not about that. Right. You know, yeah. This, yeah. you don't achieve the painting through being in the moment necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And this is this art form is about that. So uh, Joe would always say that it can be it should be therapeutic without being therapy. Sure. And I think there's a there's a great truth to that. So I, I I'm a huge um, proponent of applied improvisation, doing these kind of workshops for stuff. Uh, my book is on that, the Playmaker Mindset. Shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, I've made, an, here's the other thing. It's not bragging. Uh, I've made a great living at it. And, and I say that not to say I'm doing better than anybody else. I say that to say the door is open. Come, yeah, come through the door. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's here. And literally doing corporate stuff has enabled me to reopen Players Workshop. So I, it's... It's there, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So, yeah, there, I, I definitely do want to touch on. Uh, let me ask just for like because I selfishly I'm curious. Um, I love timeline and, and just history and, and stuff. So, like, um, what was the break between uh, Players Workshop um, closing periodically and and or for a time and then uh, reopening? And what was the uh, process and mission behind like getting it started? Yeah, uh, th uh, well, thank you for asking that. Actually, because I, I get I get so wrapped up in it. Um, it it closed in, in 2005, okay. and um, it had been doing uh, well. It had been doing okay, and but Joe had been getting older. I think she was in her mid 80s when it actually closed, um, and so uh, there was also a little bit of an issue with the with the some internal folks who had been brought in to help it out, and they didn't do that. Um, so, you know, not uncommon either. Right. Sure. So, uh, in about 2005, it closed in 2007, I went back to her and I said, listen, I want to reopen it. Um, and to which she was delighted. Uh, I got to talk to her in 2007, uh, at the end of 2007 into 2008 at, in 2008, of course, with the market and everything taking a hit, uh, mm. it just, it wasn't feasible. And then she passed in, I believe 2010. Um, or 2011. And so, uh, at that point we sort of shelved the idea. I was working with a, a guy, um, who was also very interested in, in opening it as well. And, um, anyway, so we kind of shelved it for a little while because it, it just became a little bit difficult. But I, I, after at about 2015, I came back to it really feeling like I don't have any place I feel comfortable sending people to learn what I thought was the the essence of improv, the basis of improvisation, as well as the art form of improvisation. I could send them to Second City, and I did. I sent people over there. Uh, I was there for a decade, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, But 
I really felt like Second City was all about getting people up on stage or pursuing some sort of creative path with it, which is totally fine. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm for that. But for people who don't know necessarily that that's the path they want to take, I've been in those classes and I've been with those people and they start feeling um, othered, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's like, oh, that, they're not... They're not looking to be on stage here. I don't want to work with them. I'm not going to give them, a, you know, I'm not going to give them that effort. Yeah. Which to me is the antithesis of the whole thing. I get it because you're also working towards your own personal goals and stuff. I get it. Mm -hmm. But I, I wanted to create that space. I wanted that space to exist where people could come in and not feel the pressure that they had to go perform somewhere, uh, that that was the end game for them. And so that really um, kind of picked up my, my resolve again. The market had recovered by 2015. I had personally recovered by 2015 and thought, okay, let's start going back with this. And it took a couple of years to sort of get it on its legs. And uh, I, I will say that Eric Forsberg um, thought, look, it's done and finished. And it took a long time to sort of talk to him about why it's needed and what could be done with it again. Uh, Linnea was right on board. And in fact, she's part of our group. Uh, she's part of the company. So she is cool. uh, Linnea Forsberg, who also mm -hmm. brought it back with Joe and learned it from Joe. So that's excellent. That's just fantastic. I will say that, um, so it took us a while to really move it forward. And yeah. so we, we opened back up in 2018. Uh, and then uh, we're doing classes. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. And we, you know, weren't sure if we were strong enough to go virtual. It turns out we were, which was great. Cool. Uh, yeah, I was really, we really kind of like, yeah, we know exactly that expression. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the different, totally yeah. exactly the same, but the different yeah. pronunciation of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, uh, so, but we did, we found our, our footing in virtual and now we're really enjoying that. And now we're, you know, back to the place of looking uh, for the right space again to start doing live classes. I'd love to, it's aggressive, but I'd love to start doing uh, classes again by the end of August, um, beginning of uh, September. And I only say it's aggressive because uh, the, the space selection has gone down considerably here in Chicago, um, just because a lot, of, a lot of folks got out of the game. Mm -hmm. So, but that's, yeah. that's where we're looking to go with it next. Okay, awesome. So, so for right now, people uh, who are interested in uh, the program and the players' workshop uh, can find you online and currently running online classes, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Playersworkshoponline.com. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, sign up for the news newsletter, and we do. We're going to continue the virtual classes as well. Um, that's something that we're going to continue doing while we're also doing live classes. Got it. Awesome. And then uh, before we leave you, uh, tell us about the players, uh, sorry, Playmakers Mindset, your uh, new book, which came out in the spring. Uh, who is it for? What is it? About? Yeah, it really is. Um, it was uh, written for and meant for folks who are not necessarily practicing improvisation. Uh, I combined the thoughts of um, the process of design thinking, which is my big thing is these two. I'm, I'm a two hand guy. <laughs> Got to be able to break it down to two hands. Two hands. Can't. Not two hands, no one gets it. Yeah. Uh, or if a third hand comes up, just look away. <laughs> oh. Anyway. anyway. Uh, 
So I wrote it really for um, folks who wanted to get uh, get back to their creative selves and release, unleash their creative possibility and potential. Okay. And so I combined design thinking, which is the language of impro uh, uh, innovation. And I couched it in that because that's a brilliant process for coming up with a bunch of ideas, but it was designed by engineers and it can be a little difficult to get into. So I combined it with improvisation uh, exercises so that it overlaid really nicely. It's like, okay, here's how you open your mind. Here's how you use your open mind. Oh, here are some actionable outcomes that you can now leverage with your new open and creative mind. Um, we, we talked about this idea of tapping into play uh, I use that as an acronym, uh, which means you have to align your passion. You have to listen to understand, adapt to the reality around you using creativity, and then yes and what comes out of that. And that, that to me, is the essence of play uh, that can really come up with, again, these, these outcomes that can uh, move things forward. Awesome. Okay, great. Well, well, we will make sure to link to uh, to the book and to playersworkshoponline.com. And there's also the uh, link to profitableimprov.com already in the comments. Um, oh, Jeff, thanks. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll send you a zip file you can download uh, <laughs> with a spreadsheet. Um, uh, it's been really, really great talking to you, Jeff. It's such a, 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 I love talking history. And I, love, I mean, we really had a conversation about the history and future of, of improv, which is very exciting. So thanks for joining. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for having me on, James. This was great. Um, everybody, uh, we will catch you next time. Uh, please make sure to check out the improvnetwork.org um, for uh, all those great resources, including um, there's festival postings, people. We, we are all fingers crossed and salivating at the idea of getting back to live festivals. So uh, check out festival improv, sorry, festival listings um, on the website as well. And we'll catch you next time on the Improv Network podcast. Bye.